Stage one had to do with what? What were some what were some buzzwords from stage one? You got to remember kind of a few weeks ago. But repentance, yes, repentance was one of the big words. Did you just rap at me, Tegan? No. Boom, 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 boom. No. You said buzzwords. Buzzer. Oh, buzzer. Not one. Nope. <laughs> That's why you're over there. Okay. No. Okay, so repentance. What else? Hmm? Baptism, we talked about. Baptism is a kind of a big part of this first stage. You get saved. You're repenting, you get baptized. That's like your first public profession of, hey, this is my new life I have. Do you have your new life in Christ all figured out in stage one? No. Do you have Christ figured out in stage one? Do you have Christ figured out in stage one? It's a trick question. Because it's like, yes... You know Him because He's your Lord and Savior. But then stage two is what? What's the buzzword for stage two? Enlightenment. So all that means is, so you get saved, but then there will come a point in time where you actually can honestly say, I love Jesus. Not because I just have this abstract devotion or reverence for this higher power that I don't really know intimately. That's not it. It's you can honestly and genuinely say, I love Him because I know Him. And I know Him because He first loved me. And I know His love for me. And now I know His personality. And He's only good. And He's the Father of lights. And and every gift He gives is good. Like He's only good. And only going to be good to me. and And I know that. And I know Him. And He's been there by my side through these situations in my life. I know Him and I love Him. That happens in stage two. And I would, I would suggest that if you're just kind of like a show up on Sunday and Tuesday Christian, you probably, if that's it, you probably haven't even graduated stage two yet. You're probably figuring that out. So we talked about, okay, Stage two gets developed in your life when you determine to have devotion. When you determine to have devotion, like, okay, I'm going to pursue the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord. That's why the Bible says to, to seek the Lord. Because I'm going I'm to make the move to meet with Him. Does that make sense? And then stage three, what we've now <clears throat> begun talking about is um, ministry service or training. <clears throat> I'm getting involved. Now I'm kind of hauling the water with the rest of the body of Christ. So what does that look like? How do you do that? Why do you do that? And we talked about stage three should be birthed out of stage two. So you serve because you love God. If you serve because that's what you're supposed to do, if you serve because you think that earns good merit with God, if you serve because you feel bad, probably missing the mark, right? Making sense? We need to pray, don't we? I've already lost everyone. Okay. Hey, let's be grown. Okay? Let's, let's grow up a little bit. Let's lock in. Okay? I'm going to pray, and then we will continue stage three. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time again.
for these students in the high school class, for the upperclassmen, for the underclassmen, for the counselors. God, these are all my friends. And um, just like I know them at varying levels and degrees, just like I know some of them better than I know others, God, some of them know you better than others. Some of us in this room, we don't, we don't really know you personally. Maybe we don't know you at all. Maybe you're not Lord and Savior in our life. But maybe we do know you well. Maybe we are participating in ministry service, ministry training. And God, I do, I do just ask that you would help connect dots for us this morning. Help, help us to arrive at the correct conclusions. Lead us to what we need to see, what we need to, to understand. And God, give us, give us the courage to just trust you, to have faith, to obey however you call us and lead us. This morning and, and even into this week at Mission Focus, God, have your way, please, with us and with this ministry, with our lives. God, we want to meet with you right now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, stage 3B, ministry, participation, or training. Let's talk about why this next section is important. It's important because we are either not participating in ministry service, maybe you don't serve at church at all, maybe you just show up, Maybe you attend. Okay, well, stage three is when you stop attending and you start serving. But maybe you are, you are serving, and you'll recognize that there are things in your life as you're ministering or serving or trying to, there's things that hinder us and they distract us from serving. Okay? We're going to talk about five obstacles to ministry training and service. That makes sense? Five obstacles. And you will either identify them as, oh, yeah, I'm, I think I've overcome that a little bit. Or maybe you'll say, mm, that's me, and I need to deal with that. I want you to look for which of these five applies to you. Okay? Make sense? All right, here's the five major obstacles in ministry training and how to overcome them. Number one, obstacle number one, fear of people. <clears throat> The reality is people can be scary at first, especially if you don't know them. Like to roll into a group like this is like to roll into a classroom at the beginning of the school year over and over and over again. Why? Because different people show up and because we don't really connect outside of these walls very often. And then some of us do, but we don't hang out with others. And this doesn't actually function like a family, like a... like a, like an immediate family. What we function more naturally as is like a, like a, a humongous family tree, right? So like three of us at a time will hang out, but the rest of us, we're like, meh, whatever. I don't really want to make, I don't want to take initiative to build a relationship with that person because it's awkward. Well, why is it awkward? Because people are scary. You're scared of people. Now, some of you, I don't think you are. But me and many others, we are. We're scared of people, naturally. We want to please them. We want them to accept us. And that prevents us from jumping into service. It's natural to fear people versus simply reaching out with vulnerability, being humble before them. But here's what we need to consider. The world, the people outside of these walls, the world, it does and always has opposed Christ and therefore will oppose the Christian. You will always be opposed. That's your life now. Opposition. 
John 15, verse 18 to 21 says, If the world hate you, notice he won't say, they don't probably actually hate you. It's just like probably a misunderstanding. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. I read that and I'm like, oh yeah, it does hate me. Okay. Yeah. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If you love Jesus, the world does not. The world does not love Jesus. The world hates Jesus. The world hates Jesus. I don't know if you knew this, but the world hates Jesus. They hate him. Why? Because he says, you submit. You do what I say. Why? Because I'm God and you're not. And the world says, "Mm, I hate you. Because I want to be God. I want to make the decisions. I want to be the Lord. That's what we naturally say, and that's what the world says. And therefore, when you and I, because we love Jesus, and we say, okay, yes, you're Lord. You have the way with my life. I don't want it. I want you to have it. And then we bring that to someone else. Hey, the Lord is in charge of my life, and He wants to be in charge of yours. They say, hmm, I hate you. Now, they may not say that. They may not hit you. But you know what they will do? You'll say, hey, the Lord wants to be your Lord. He wants you to repent from your sin. You know what they're going to do? They're going to say, oh. Well, okay. Weirdo. Freak. No thanks. Right? Why? Is it because you're just so repulsive? It's not. We might think that. But that's not why they hate you. It's not about you. It's the Spirit. It's Christ in you. They hate Him. So here's your key point. <clears throat> if you're going to serve in ministry, you've got to get comfortable in rejection. Get comfortable. You will be opposed for the rest of your life. You will be opposed. You'll be rejected. You're going to share the gospel with somebody and they're going to say, no, you're crazy. They're going to say, no, thank you, I don't want that. Does that make sense? So get comfy. Get used to it. Being different in your school or in your workplace or in your family, it it could be pretty lonely. Like, you're probably going to feel alone. Like, practically. Not just emotionally, where you're like, nobody loves me. And you actually have friends all around you that love you in school. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about practically, legitimately, you may be in your school, especially you seniors who are graduating, and you're going to UMKC, you're going wherever. You're going to show up to your classes, and you will know no one in that room. And when you try to connect, and they reject, you will feel like, wow. This sucks. It's kind of lonely. Because it's like that in all my classes. School kind of sucks. I kind of want to stop. I want to go to the places where people like me. It's going to be hard. It's going to feel bad, probably. Right? I'll tell you, 
It can be scary. It can be lonely. But once you get comfortable in it, it's actually not all that bad. It's a little bit exciting. So there's a girl at my work. So it's a little different dynamic because I'm the teacher and they're students. So I'm an adult. I'm more mature than most of them. Although I teach freshmen, so it's, I could probably say all of them. So <clears throat> when I have conversations with kids, if they reject me, it's kind of like, well, okay, next. You know, like, they're just, they don't have that much sway in my life. But if I said the wrong thing to the wrong kid, I could get in trouble. Right? Okay, so it could be scary still. But here's what we got to get comfortable with. There's a, there's a girl... She asks me questions. We do kind of like this Bible study. She says, you know, what about this? I'm like, okay, well, the Bible says blah, blah, blah. Well, she came up a couple weeks ago. She says, well, what about abortion? Read this essay. It was an essay written by another student. I read it. I was like, it's awful. It's garbage. It's the stupidest arguments I've ever read in my life. And the writing sucks. Get this out of my face. <laughs> I probably didn't use those exact words. But I was pretty blatant. This sucks. These are wrong arguments. She said, Go rest her. Oh my gosh. She said, But what about? But what about? And I answered her, What abouts? And she was just kind of like, Okay, whatever. So she goes, tells her friend, She's like, You should come meet Gracier. I'm like, Bro, what? No, I don't like. He said, Rest it sucks. Like, dude, why are you? You're starting a fight. I don't want to fight with somebody. It's just. She's wrong. Like, but I don't, want to, I don't want to start a fight. The girl does not show up. But my student, she shows up. And she brings it up again. And she's going, yeah, but what about if there's, what if there's an offender? What if, she was, what if she was assaulted? What if this, what if she can't take care of the baby? And she kept going at the what ifs. And I got to the point where I'm angry. She's like, Ray sure, are you mad? I'm like, yes, I'm mad. I'm really mad right now. You have completely upset me. I am upset and mad. I'm angry right now. Because who's going to be angry for those babies? Not you. You don't care about them. You just kill them. I am angry. And I'm okay with it. I'm not angry at you. I love you. But I'm angry. Okay, that was weird. I never felt that before. I never felt comfortable being the, the entire class. No one would likely have agreed with me, but there's a little pile of them. These kids are like, what about, what about, what about this? I'm like, I don't care. I'm angry. You're all wrong. Sue me. I didn't say that, but can you, in a situation, maybe it's not where the whole class gangs up on you because you're not a teacher, but maybe it's one of your friends and they adamantly say, no. Can you just be like, I think you're wrong and that's okay. You can be mad at me. It doesn't matter. You can reject me and oppose me, and I do. it doesn't bother me. Because I know that I'm on his side. I know that I believe his beliefs, and I think his thoughts, and I have his opinions, and therefore, if he's pleased with my thoughts, and my beliefs, and my opinions, I don't care about yours. Why? Because I'm satisfied right here. I'm comforted. I'm at peace. Well, people are scary. Yeah. So how do we get over this? Right? Because even saved people will oppose you. Even people in this class, you may feel opposed by them. Acts 20, verse 29 and 30 says, For I know this, that 
After my departing, Paul says, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So there's some wolves that are coming in. They're going to come into these rooms, into the, into the church building at Midtown. There have absolutely been wolves. People who are stealing, who are picking off, particularly the women or the, or the people who aren't you know, real strong in their faith. They're like picking them off. Who can I get to roll with me? He says this, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Hey, follow me. Learn from me. Do what I'm doing. There will be people who oppose our agenda. We're trying to make disciples, and they want to make confusion. So how do we overcome this? How do we overcome people and being afraid of them? And like, how do you serve and minister in this room when you don't even know hardly people in here? And how do you overcome the? How do you get over that? What do we do? Here's some key principles. Don't launch out by yourself. You're not doing it on your own. You are not Rambo. Rambo, by the way, is like 70 years old now. And he's still jacked, okay? (laughs) But, but, okay, you're not Rambo, right? Nor are you any other famous person that would be more culturally relevant to you that does the mission on his own. That's not how you're wired. That's not who you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to go out by yourself. There's a two-by-two concept. Jesus sent disciples out two-by-two. You need to have friends that have your back. If you're going to serve in ministry, if you're going to be part of the mission, you need people who you know have your back. Well, how do you get people who have your back? How do you get people who you know when you say something that's controversial, that's contrary to the world, when you say it and then you tell your friends, man, that really sucked because they rejected me, you know they're going to say, man, it's all good. We're just siding with the Lord, so I'm with you. That was right. What you said is right. How do you get those people? How do you get people who care about you? Well, you have to be friendly. You have to be a friend. Right? Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I'm really thankful and grateful that I know if I were to get into a a situation that riled me up, that flustered me, that, that maybe I was offended, maybe it really got to me. That if I went to Dan, if I went to Philip, if I went to Brock, if I went to any of the adult men over there in the middle school class, I know for 100% sure, and the ladies in here for worse, but I know for sure they'd have my back. It's not a one-way street. When they get riled up, when they get, you know, down or whatever, if I want them to have my back, I have to have their back, Right? Some of you need to be friendly. Here's another thing. To fight this uh, fear of people. Do the easy jobs first. It builds confidence. So if you're trying to get over this fear of people, which I have naturally, do the easy jobs. Okay, when I stood up here and I looked at you guys, this is like a thing. So like I get up here and I kind of get set up. Doesn't look the same every week. But I raised my eyes and I looked at you. And it was awful. 
I'm not afraid of it. It was gross. No, I'm not afraid of you. If, if it's just like me and Brock, it's all good. If it's me and Ernesto, me and Mickey, it's all good. We're cool. Like, it's good. But if it's all of us, naturally I'm a little bit like, <clears throat> this is intimidating. It's a little scary. Seth knows. He stood up in front of everybody. It's kind of scary. <clears throat> right? So don't start with preaching in front of a whole class. Why don't you start by joining the hospitality team? The people who stand out there, they get to welcome people one at a time. Two at a time, maybe. Hey, good morning. Dab it up. Give them a high five, a hug. Give them a whatever. Okay? Say hello. Do the easy jobs. Or maybe it's not hospitality. <clears throat> maybe it's some of the service ministries. Maybe you need to serve some coffee. That's one at a time. You can't serve two coffees at a time. You go one at a time. Hi, good morning. It's easy. You're getting little reps in. Right? You're learning to dribble before you drive. That made sense to about four people in here, right? Amazing. With me? Okay, good. Well, how about children's ministry? <clears throat> okay? You guys are an ideal age, an ideal age to work with children, so long as you're faithful. Okay? <clears throat> My daughters and all the little kids, they love people who are younger than me. Just naturally, it's easier. It's easier because there's this like playfulness that I don't naturally have. <clears throat> like I have to work into it, right? I have to like humble myself and I'm like, okay, I'm a big idiot. Okay, got it. <laughs> right? That's hard. But you guys, you like, some of you, you like to play with kids. That's a great place for you to just get to know, build relationships, lead people who will naturally follow you because you're older. Does that make sense? Find a place where you can build some confidence in ministry and work through being afraid of people. How about this? Let's get spiritual. <clears throat> Remember you're dead. You are dead. The old man is crucified with Christ. That natural fear of men doesn't belong to you anymore. So in the mornings, before you're going to you know, reach out to someone, attend your own funeral. Okay, I gotta remember. <clears throat> Looking at the casket, the old man. Like, yeah, I'm dead. That fear, that fear is in the, in the coffin, it's in the casket. I don't have to carry that with me. Yeah, I can leave that, I can leave that there. There is no confidence or dependency on the flesh. It's all on Christ in me, right? Or number four, fear God above men. <clears throat> Right, so if you naturally fear people, like me, I know that I have to remember this regularly. I have to seek the Lord in worship. I have to literally physically praise Him with my mouth and my heart. I have to give Him praise and worship. I have to reestablish in my mind that He is Lord and that I love Him and that I fear Him and Him alone. And when I have that healthy reverence and fear of God, guess what I'm not worried about? You guys. You guys are very nice. But you're still a little scary. I'm not worried about you if I'm, if I'm worried about just giving my heart to the Lord. And you need the same thing. Does that make sense? <clears throat> That's not something you just do once 
and you're like, all right, I'm good for the next week or two or month. It's a regular reestablishing that position in your heart. Okay? What are they doing over there? <clears throat> okay, let's do obstacle number two and then we'll finish. There are five word we're obviously not gonna get them all today. We'll get the second one and then we'll pick the third through fifth up next week. Um, maybe we'll have some time to kind of hang out. So obstacle number two, resistance to change. Okay, resistance to change. Some of us fear men easily. We're afraid. We're, you know, it's intimidating to talk with people. But some of us, we just want to be right here in our zone and do our thing right here. But obstacle number two, it relates to stage one, which is what? Stage one, not obstacle one, stage one is repentance. Okay, obstacle two, three, two. You hanging with me? Obstacle two relates to stage one of repentance because in repentance, what do you do? You were going this way and now you're going this way. I'm just going to have this ready for the phones. Here's your phone warning. I'm going to toss this at you if your phone's out. Okay. Obstacle two has to do with stage one, which is repentance. So you were going this way and now you're going this way, right? Well, what does that mean? That means you have surrendered. You've totally turned around. Well, <clears throat> resistance to change, to change from this way to this way. Well, man, once we get saved and we're doing this and we want to serve in ministry, we get to this step where it's like, God's like, hey, I want you to get over yourself and help other people. It's not all about you. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I want to serve. And you're like, hmm, that's a little hard. I think I'd rather like stay here, stage one and two, right? Okay, same concept, same idea, where we have to embrace a life of surrender and uncomfortability. So people naturally seek comfort and security on on this planet, right? What we all want to do, what all of our counselors at school really want us to do, is find a career path and a post-secondary education route, okay? Ah, hit Mickey. I clipped Mickey in the kidney. I'm sorry, bro. I was aiming for Ernesto. There we go. Yeah, yeah. He got got. Okay, so your counselors really want you to have an idea. They don't actually care what it is. They just want you to have some kind of plan. And it really, it just, it makes them look good. But, but also for your sake, so that you have some kind of plan. And what they want you to do is have something that's going to make you really happy and really successful. And then, and then you'll pursue it. You'll find yourself in college and you're like, okay, I can do this. And then you find a career and then you're, you're doing it. And you're like, okay, yeah. And then you find a spouse maybe. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. I'm married. And then you find uh, kids. <laughs> and you're like, wow, these are great. And then you probably have a pet. And then you have your local church, right? So you have your church life, you have your work life, you have your family life. You, you probably have a dog. You probably have a hobby, right? Maybe you, like, build canoes. I don't know. Maybe you do. And then you, 
And then you go 10 or 15 years and you look up and you're like, wait, what am I doing? And you say, I won't look up and say, what am I doing? I'll, I'll be knowing what I'm doing while I'm doing all that. That sounds really great. That sounds like what I'm looking for. You will, at one, at one point, you'll, you'll kind of look up from yourself. You'll look around and you'll be like, man, what is my life? What is my life's meaning? When I hit 30, I did that. I was like, what am I doing? Like, is this my life? Like, is this what I'm going to get? I actually am potentially... I'm, I'm probably not halfway through my life if all things go according to plan. But I'm a lot closer to halfway done. I feel a lot closer to halfway done than I did 10 years ago. I feel like, okay... I got my family, I got my house, I got my job, I got my local church, I got my hobbies. Yes, sir. Okay. I got two kittens now for Christmas. I hate my life. Okay. So I, when I hit 30, I looked up and I was like, dude, what am I going to do for the next 25, 30 years? But like seriously, but seriously, what am I going to do? Like, am, am, am I just going to keep doing what I'm doing? Because if I am, I'm totally at peace with that. If that's what the Lord has my life work to be, to be youth ministry, I'm thrilled about that. I'm having more fun than you guys are. I love this. But wait, <clears throat> what if God wants me to do something different? I've already begun to build this life and I really want to make sure that as I continue to build all the way to the point where I'm no longer building but I'm sustaining and maintaining and I'm helping build my children's lives because we're like 15, 20 years away from that. I got I to gotta figure out, okay, what, what is this life? So here's what I'm saying. Resistance to change. When you take this step, stage one, you repented from your, from your sin. You can say... Stage two, you're learning and growing who Christ is. You begin to love Him. Stage three, you begin to give of yourself, to learn, to, to be trained, to serve. When that begins to happen, it will get uncomfortable. You'll be asked to wake up early, to show up early to church, to set up chairs. You'll be asked to show up every Sunday and practice songs. And Tuesday. You'll be asked to do things that are very inconvenient and over time accumulate quite a bit of time, quite a bit of sacrifice. But also, you're going to eventually be asked to get uncomfortable. All in the midst of building this life. So, you guys know who, uh, you know who, uh, who, Mark Charter was, right? Everybody in here, we've been around long enough for Mark Charter to be important in our lives. Man, you're talking about... You're talking about your whole life with one spouse. You're talking about probably maybe a handful of careers. Like, there's careers, they change frequently nowadays like you might have two three maybe just one career 
for your whole life. While you're trying to get set up to be used by God. You know what Mark Charter said? Regarding your spouse. And I would add to that regarding your school, your education, regarding your career, regarding your hobbies. All of those things. I would say just what he said. Choose wisely. Because who I'm married to, 190 million percent affects what I can do in ministry. It absolutely impacts directly every day. Every moment of my life is impacted by who I'm married to in terms of what I can do for ministry. If I were married to another woman, there's a good chance I would not be able to do the things that I'm able to do. I think I hit the jackpot. Obviously, I esteem Kylie very highly. And all the men in this room would say the same about their wives. But who you marry directly impacts what your life of ministry looks like. You want to choose wisely. But your job also impacts that. You know what I don't want to be anymore? I don't really want to be a teacher. Because I have to lesson plan for the next five months. Ah! To a bunch of freshmen who don't want to learn. It's kind of drudge work. Like, ugh, okay. But you know what? I was a teacher on purpose. Why? Because then, after the drudgery of five months of teaching kids who don't want to learn, I get two months off. Now, do I use that two months to just party and live my life how I want? Absolutely. Okay? <laughs> but also, I use that two months invest in my family. Okay, now I got now I got some breathing room I can hang out with my daughters because I kind of ignore them week to week. I kind of, like, I my life is situated where, like, there's a lot of just burning the candle at both ends. Got these obligations and these things to do and my kids sometimes pray prayers on Saturdays where they're like, oh God, thank you for this food and thank you for letting Dad visit. Sometimes it's kind of tough. It's kind of tight. So that two-month period is critical for ministry, for me. What if I had a regular job where I didn't have two months off? My daughters would pray when they're 18. Oh, literally. God thinks the dad is visiting because he's literally visiting now. Because, dude, I'd lose my family if I didn't have a very strategic career. You want a strategic career. There's a reason why Nate is a nurse. There's a reason why Philip is a police officer. There's reasons why people are doing the things that they're doing. And they're not always ideal and it's not always perfect. It doesn't lay out how we want it to all the time. But you do have a choice right now. So those of you who have a mind to minister, you want to choose now what you're going to do for the next 35 years. Does that make sense? Now for some of you, you're like, bro, what are you talking about? Don't care. But if you're a senior, I don't care if you don't care. You need to, you need to hear that. You've got to choose, bro. Because your life will be directly impacted for the next 35 years. That's a long time. Does that make sense? That was not part of obstacle two. That was actually obstacle uh, four or five, I think. But here's your quick key. It relates. We skipped ahead a little bit, but we're coming back. Here's your quick key. Your comfort... Your lifestyle, your culture, your routine, your hobbies all belong on the altar. What you do throughout the day belongs at the altar. 
God, this is yours. And if you want me to do it or not do it, I will or won't. I'll change directions however you see fit. Right? I want to pursue this where it's going to make me more money. He says, nope, okay, not going to. I'll do this. He says, I want you to be a nurse. You say, that doesn't make sense. I don't like blood, but okay, I'll do it. Does that make sense? <clears throat> My fishing hobby, you can all poke fun at that. I love to fish. I fish three times this week. Bring the girls out. Just be outside. I love fishing. At the moment that the Lord says, enough is enough. I'll give all my poles out. Okay, yeah. I don't want to hang on to something that God doesn't want me to hang on to. I want to keep fishing. I really want to. Right? But if you don't want me to, okay. That's hard. But that resolution has to be made. Whatever He calls me to, it's His. 2 Corinthians 5.17, here's your last verse, last passage, 17-18 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So as a disciple now, as this new creature in Christ, as a servant of Jesus Christ, what you think like, what you speak like, what you act like, is all dictated by God's word now. Okay, So as you're pursuing ministry service, your life is controlled by God. You are a slave of Jesus Christ. Your identity, out the door. Your identity is Christ. What you believe is right and wrong doesn't matter in light of what God says is right and wrong. This is your moral compass. This is the mind of Christ that needs to be transplanted into your mind. That make sense? And that's kind of hard. Because that means we have to change. Because that means we will look different than we did before. That means when we're serving, whereas before, you hand someone, you know, at work, my students talk about, they work in the fast food industry. And if the customer says something wrong, they get the wrong tone, They'll just go off on them. That's what they say. They probably don't. Probably chickens. But, mm, no, you're not going to talk to me that way. Okay. When you're on the hospitality team, and you hand that quarter of a donut, if they wrong you, you say, do you want another? And another? Do you want some coffee with that? Like, your rights are wrong. You gave that up. You're different now. You look different. You serve different. You think different. You speak different. You act different. And you own that. Does that make sense? Resistance to change will kill your ministry service. So let's pray. We're going to be done. We have a little bit of time to just kind of hang out. And then we'll pick up the next three obstacles next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you uh, for the study through Foundations 2. And um, God, you, you know better than... You know better than all of us where we're at. If we're, you know, if we fear men, if we're resistant to change, to surrender, God, if, we, if we're seeking comfort, really is kind of the common denominator. We want comfort from 
fearing men so we don't talk, we don't engage, we don't reach out. We want comfort from resistance. Uh, we want comfort from having to change and that uncomfortableness that we get when we have to give things up. And so what we do is we don't give things up. We put our, our AirPods in our ear. We ignore you. But God, would you just give us a, just a little bit of a, <clears throat> a break in the monotony of this church service morning? Would you just kind of, if we're just going to go through the motions, God, would you just stop the motion for a second? Would you, would you click the off switch for just a second? And let us hear what you think, how you feel about where we are at. Whether that's in this Sunday school hour or it's during main service, God, would you help us? Would you speak to us? Would you lead us? God, have your way. We need that. This ministry needs that, but we individually, we need that from you. We need you to father us, to shepherd us, to lead us and guide us. God, we love you, and we thank you for that, for who you are and how you do that and how you're faithful to us. And um, we just ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.